Welcome to the Keep It Moving Podcast. From an aimless kid to a Navy veteran traveling the world, join Andy and his guests in discussing the before, the during, and the after of military life and more. Here's your host, Andy Lane. Hey, everybody, and uh, thanks for joining again for another episode of the Keep It Moving Podcast. Uh, Today's special guest is going to be me. Today's going to be a solo rodeo. There was a, uh, a short break in between the last episode and uh, and this one, and I'm going to tell you why. Full transparency. So podcasts seem pretty simple, which they can be, uh, but for me being the person that I am, uh, I like to have a certain level of, of polish on the things that I do. Is it perfect? No. Do I feel that it needs to meet a specific kind of a standard? Yeah. Yeah, I would say. I would say so. So with everything going on in the world right now, especially overseas, uh, Ukraine specifically, uh, that first week with no episode was a a direct effect of uh, my editor having to uproot his life for safety. So, um, but following that first week, um, life happened, you know, a, uh, a friend of mine got married So I used uh, some of my PTO, my paid time off, uh, for those still in the military that haven't quite experienced what that is. It'll be essentially leave. Um, so I took some of that from work, and I flew down to Maryland uh, for the wedding. Had a great time. No stress. It was really good. Um, had a lot of fun. Uh, after that, I flew from Maryland down to uh, one of the homies' houses in uh, Virginia, where I spent the better part of that week. Um helping just kind of do some small stuff around the house so that he can and sell and uh, uproot his life. So I rebuilt the door, helped paint a little. Uh, and then uh, we got an 81 Bronco up and running and able to drive all the way back to the lovely state of New York. Great times. Life. <laughs> uh, it wasn't always like this, though. So the freedom that I have uh, now to be able to do kind of whatever I want um, came at a cost of my time, you know, up to this point. Now, time means more than than money to me. Um, and since you've heard about my guest stories and pasts, um, I've in little bits and chunks of uh, of my life. Uh, here's what kind of brought us up to today. So, some of you already know I grew up in the capital of California. Uh, Sacramento with every advantage that a young kid could possibly have. Um, obviously at the cost of my parents working their asses off to raise three shithead kids. Um, but like most people before their twenties, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. So when I graduated high school, um, I graduated a semester early, um, not by choice, but because my parents put me in summer school every year. So, uh, every summer I couldn't stay home and, and be a little shit Um, But that led me to having more credits than I needed to graduate. So I ended up graduating in January um, and walking uh, across the stage in, in, I think, June uh, with the rest of my my graduating class. Uh, After that, I went to Wyoming Technical Institute in West Sacramento, California. I don't actually think the campus is there anymore due to, like, a lawsuit. Um... But it was a lot of fun when I went there. 
Um, I got a technical degree in automotive theory and street rotting and custom fabrication. So basically, that just means that I learned how to work on cars and how they worked. Um, and then I could weld and paint, which was probably the most fun of the entire thing was the sh- uh, sheet metal work, the welding, the painting, um, all that stuff. One of my instructors brought his uh, old truck in and uh, we got to rip it apart and basically rebuild it for him for free. Um, but after that, <clears throat> I got a job as a diesel truck mechanic and worked for a fleet diesel company out of Sacramento. Uh, it was a great job. Paid well. Um, the hours weren't great, uh, for somebody who's still young, uh, but it was great. I was just too young to appreciate a steady hours, a good paycheck and a consistent manageable workload, which I'm sure some of you now like hear manageable workload and you're like, what is that? Uh, yeah. So I was definitely in for a surprise and had no idea that that would be the last time that I ever had anything that was that predictable. So in 2007, I got a DUI and that changed the whole trajectory of my life. I had a uh, strong realization (laughs) that I wasn't doing anything spectacular with my life and I was just putting checks into boxes that didn't really matter. And uh, after about two years into my probation, I spoke with a number of recruiters uh, from all the branches trying to find a way into the military because I had to leave Sacramento. My, uh, my stars started to align when the Navy recruiter uh, worked with me through all the pain in the ass stuff like waivers for tattoos, DUI, all the good stuff. So tattoos didn't used to be as uh, widely accepted as they are now. Um, used to have waiver used to have to have waivers for each one that was below i think it was your elbow um couldn't be visible in certain tattoo or visible in certain uniforms um but all that kind of went away so um i finally got um i had a three-year probation uh informal probation uh so i finally got my court appeal for the last year um And I got it waived in the interest of justice so I could join the military by the California court system. I had done uh, all my DUI classes. I did community service. I paid all my fines. Let's fucking go. We're joining the military. So originally, um, I had joined the reserves uh, because I was just trying to get out of there as soon as possible. So I joined the reserves as a CM. uh, And for those who don't know, that's a construction mechanic in the CBs. Uh, it was a, a literal conversion from what I was doing prior to, you know, signing a contract. But uh, a day later, I received a call um, from my recruiter um, after my contract had already been signed that the, the rate had closed and that I had to pick a new one. So it just so happened she was an OS, so an operation specialist, which I am now and have been for the last 12 years or 12 plus years. Um, so naturally she said, you like working in air conditioning, right? I said, yep. She said, all right, sounds like a good fit to me. So, uh, I didn't really spend a whole lot of time in the delayed entry program or DEP is you might hear it called, um, before flying off to Illinois for boot camp. Um, but if you haven't heard the boot camp stories, I'd kindly refer you to episode one of this podcast, uh, where me and, uh, Roman talk about, uh, just the boot camp experience and, all the glory that it 
after all the uh the fun boot camp stuff and a school which is uh our specialty school for the navy um that just happened to be across the street from boot camp uh i flew home for a nice 10 day vacation before flying back to norfolk um and if you haven't heard that story about me wandering around uh norfolk naval station until like four in the morning um that's also in uh, episode one but um so i got back to norfolk uh my ship had already had just left for deployment uh so i stayed at tpu which is transient personnel unit um, but while I was there, uh, I worked with the on-base fire department uh, to help service their trucks. Shocking uh, that I would be doing something like that. Um, I eventually got my ticket and flew out of the Space A terminal on a big-ass plane with, like, it was everybody. It was, like, all military families and crying babies. It was three rows across. It was very uncomfortable. I want to say it was about 14 to 17 hours. I can't remember specifically. But it was a long ass flight, so we flew from uh from Norfolk to NSA Bahrain, but we stopped in uh, Rota, Siganella, and uh, the Azores on the way. Uh, once we landed in Bahrain, we were assigned hotel rooms for about ten bucks a day. They had a bed, a TV, and some cold ass AC to the point where you almost wanted to turn it down until you stepped outside and realized how actually hot it was. Um. So <clears throat> once we got all checked into the, those rooms and everything like that, um, we waited for about a week uh, before the CODs were um, not broken <laughs> and able to pick us up and fly us out to the uh, USS Dwight D. Eisenhower, uh, CVN-69, in the middle of the Gulf where I would spend the next almost mm, five years there. That was home. I, uh, I got there. About a month into de- into the deployment, uh, but the crew was already salty as fuck uh, because this was a back to back deployment for them. Um, the ship ended up doing a back to back, came back for uh, a few months for availability, and then did another back to back. So it was just like a redeploying ship over and over. Uh, but while I was there, I met um, some of the best people in the world like that i still you know would call close friends and if any of them ever called me and needed a place to crash i would gladly leave my door open for them it's just the bonds and and friendships that i that i made on that ship were indistinguishable anywhere like it, it was insane it was amazing um, but near the end of that deployment, uh, we did what's called a, a tiger cruise and um, it's where we let parents ride with us for you know a few uh, just to see what kind of sh- like ship is life. Um, so I actually brought my parents on board for this one. The one and only time I've ever brought my parents on board uh, to get underway with us. And um, if you ever asked them about it, one loved it. The other one, not so much. Uh, ship life is definitely an acquired taste. All you have to do is Google Navy rack and that should explain everything. Just look at the pictures. Uh, but nowadays, rocking boats, aircraft jets, props, people whispering, it all just kind of puts me to sleep. Just that white noise, it just, it's almost calming to the point where it's its a little creepy. That I almost need that to go to sleep. But um, after we got back, the, uh, the ship went into a repair phase for a few months before deploying again, like I said. Um, 
this would be my second deployment in two and a half years. Uh, but this time I was a, you know, quote unquote seasoned, but not salty yet. Uh, I got moved around combat direction center, CDC on a, on a carrier, CIC on a destroyer or a smaller ship. Um, so I got moved around from watch station to watch station. Um, but I also did get promoted to E4, uh, in that second deployment. But shortly after that, I was moved into, uh, strike ops and that pretty much just changed the game for me. Give me a whole different outlook on life, especially inside the Navy. I worked with four officers, uh, when I first got there and no enlisted, it was just, uh, an O five, um, and three Oh threes. That was it. And then, uh, obviously some people got promoted, some people got moved around, but it still never, uh, was anything other than a couple officers and myself. Um, which was super nice because, uh, I had my own office. I had my own set of rules. Um, did a bunch of cool stuff. I talked my boss into buying an Xbox and bringing it on deployment so that we could link them together. Uh, it was great. So that, uh, that department ended up, um, I will get back into that. So the department developed air plans for the squadrons working with the carrier air group and also coordinated the ship schedule, uh, with like 10 to 15 other departments. So that was kind of my job. Uh, I got to see the inner workings of, of how things were planned and, uh, really interesting to kind of see the other end of the spectrum instead of being told uh, what I'm going to be doing to help be able to, you know, develop the plans of what we were going to, what we were going to end up doing, which was really nice. Um, while I was there, uh, I qualified enlisted surface warfare specialist. And then uh, right after I got my aviation warfare specialist, uh, since I didn't have too many distractions, it made it really simple to, to sit down and study for it. Um, also made E5 while I was in that division. Um, but uh, after the 2012 deployment, uh, we came back for two months. Um, right around the holiday season, I want to say. Before uh, uh, before redeploying in 2013. Um, so when we redeployed, I became the leading petty officer for operations admin. Uh, as well as strike ops after they kind of got merged together. Um and this is where John and Ralph come in, you know, Q episode three. If you haven't listened to that, definitely go listen to their stories. It's they're amazing. Uh, during the 2013 deployment, uh, deployment, uh, I met my son's mom. Uh, she worked in a completely different department before people start speculating in a, in opinion forming. Uh, neither of us worked for each other. We just kind of passed each other. We, um, <clears throat> we didn't start dating though until after, uh, we had gotten back. Like later that year, uh, the ship went into a really long yard period, which is just like a repair, fix, add, whatever you want to call it. Um, when we all came back from that deployment, and I was I was set to transfer before it deployed again, so that was probably um, going to be my last last deployment. So I did three deployments on that first ship, and then uh, right before I was going to transfer, not right before, but short soon before I, I transferred, I found out that. Um, my son's mom was pregnant uh, with my son. And after I had received orders to Hawaii uh, to another ship, um, which I was due to go to a shore command, but due to the like the amazing detailing in the Navy. Uh, and I applied for orders for about six months. And then I got selected for another ship somehow. Uh, but this time it was a destroyer out of Pearl Harbor, USS Preble DDG 88. So uh, we got married. 
2014. Uh, we co-located in Hawaii at two different bases, pretty far apart on the island. Like for an island, they were still pretty far apart, but she had a much nicer drive. We ended up living in Pearl, but she worked in uh, K-Bay. Before, um, before we both ended up on the island, she was stationed uh, at a squadron in Norfolk. Uh, while I was in Hawaii trying to kind of get a place for us and get settled uh, so that they could, you know, have an easy move out there. Um, but during the command Christmas party, uh, I got a call on the phone from her friend, and all I could hear was my son crying in the background. Uh, he was born early, um, but so early that I missed it. So I had already set up the, the plans to fly back and stuff, but he was born before I flew back. Very unfortunate. But nevertheless, he's still around, so... Can't ask for too much more. Um, all right. So after that, uh, I deployed in 2015 with the Preble. Uh, probably my worst deployment. Great port visits. A lot of them. Definitely my worst ship. Um, yeah. But this time I had a wife and a two-month-old before I left. So that made the deployment infinitely harder. Uh, for those of you parents who have deployed, um, you already you, you already know. So this is my fourth deployment in under six years. Uh, I think it was like five and a half years. So four deployments, five and a half years. Um, Hawaii itself uh, is a great place. Uh, but for me, it was a disaster. Um, I ended up leaving the island uh, after a full tour. Um, full tour in Hawaii, but a split tour between Preble and uh, Midpack. So I was at Midpack for about a year right before I transferred. Um, and I left with a huge disdain for the Navy at that point. Um, it was just a, a really bad experience. And I feel that a lot of situations there uh, could have been handled better, but they weren't. And uh, yeah, so my family and I left the island with um, not the best uh, outlook on the Navy. <clears throat> but let's not take away from the nice amazing fantastic people i met walker jolene austin cheyenne amber jasmine i see you all thriving i'm loving every minute of it you guys deserve everything that you have ever worked for um but after that so i came back stateside and uh i was denied orders to rtc uh to push boots at at boot camp uh, i was told my tattoo collection had become too extensive at that point. And so uh, I was then selected for orders to the Naval Academy as an instructor. Um, and I had to submit the exact same package that I gave to RTC to the Naval Academy. So one Ascension program to another. And I got selected for the Naval Academy. Not really too sure on the understanding on how that happened. But um, I'm not mad about it. So... The Naval Academy. <laughs> uh, I started there as an E5. Uh, I was an adjunct instructor. And uh, for a short time, uh, I was the leading petty officer after our first class uh, made chief. Uh, until I was bumped out by another E5 who picked up E6. Wasn't even remotely mad about it. Um, Chris, good on you. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Uh, so during COVID, I was in TAPS class. Uh I was told that I'd be picking up uh, my own advanced navigation classes in E5. So I would have been the first junior enlisted in the history of the Naval Academy to teach NN310. Y'all can fact check me on that. Um, 
but it's true. Uh, so the Naval Academy was the most rewarding experience I've ever had in the entire Navy. Uh, I put everything I had into it, teaching everything. So after that semester ended, I had already decided that, that I would get out of active duty, uh, at my 12 year mark. I was just going to finish out the reserves for my last eight years, uh, up in New York. So I could be closer to my son because at this point, my son's mom had moved up to New York to finish her master's degree, um, at Long Island university post which is a great school and i don't blame her for any of that um so she was working finishing her master's degree in that in her field and then uh so we had divorced by this point um so i was driving up there every weekend to new york to spend time with my son and so i just kind of made the decision that i would just move up to new york and you know now here we are um Interesting transition, though, between uh, getting out and staying in. So, uh, July of 2021, uh, about six months before my uh, EAOS, my end of contract, uh, eight years after I had made E5, I finally did it. A 2.7% advancement rate after you take all the maps out. Uh, I fucking did it. I made E6. I did it. That was the one goal that I had set for myself uh, joining the military was that I would make E6 before I either got out of active duty or got out or, or whatever I was doing. And I did it. So my choice was already made anyway. Uh, luckily, um, I got paid for E6 three days, three days before my end of contract. So I left, left active duty and joined the reserves as an actual paid E6 and not frocked. So all my paperwork is correct. That was the biggest thing because I didn't want to have to go back and argue about, oh, I made it, but I was frocked, X, Y, and Z. Um, but the Naval Academy was the best command. Uh, it was definitely the most rewarding. Um, it was It was good because when it was good, it was good. When it was bad, it sucked, but then you had to remember, I'm not on a ship. I get to go home every night. I get to sleep in my own bed, and I get to show up to work for a few hours a day. I get to hang out with people. I get to teach. The weather in Annapolis is kind of similar to New York, but it's not a terrible area, and you're not too far from D.C. or any of the other stuff around. Um, it was great. So... <clears throat> I met uh, Austin and Cassie when I worked in Annapolis. Austin and I worked together. We both were instructors at the the academy. He met Cassie um, sometime into his tour. And she would come into work every now and then and, and hang out. Um, but then we also got to hang out through some, like, random events. And, like, 4th of July uh, and Oktoberfest. And, you know, I got a chance to get her to know her a little bit more. Which brings us to now. Their wedding was amazing wonderful time it was it was easy no stress it was just a great time a lot of fun uh can't really say too much more about it because it is just you kind of had to be there for for all of it um we also got the the bronco so the 81 bronco uh it's given me something that I can fill my my time with and my my hobbies because I like cars, obviously. 
Um, but it also gives me something that I can work on with my son. And <clears throat> that to me is worth whatever. So, uh, it's, it's just a new adventure and, you know, uh, I will forever be able to take these experiences because he's already, you know, hung out in the Bronco and he's like, dad, I love it. I love it. You know, so it makes it easier to, to want to do things like that, you know, when he's interested, uh, with it. So John, thank you very, very much. Um, so on that, so nobody can tell you, you know, how your career will go. No one, no one has that length of foresight no one can explain to you the really really high ups and the really low lows of working where you live so you go to work you get off work go to iraq you live on a ship you can't go anywhere until you pull into port but you still can't go anywhere the friends you make and choose to keep are what makes a shitty command worth being there i can't stress that enough you have to build a bond with someone or other people. Otherwise, you will be miserable no matter what command you are at. And nobody can tell you what to do when you're alone. Truly alone. I can only suggest finding a hobby you enjoy or multiple ones because the military is a very lonely place. Um, but we're all lonely together. So you just have to find a commonality with, with a group of people or hobbies, and just immerse yourself in it. Uh, otherwise, you'll get caught up in this like whirlwind of, of just not greatness. So, I don't know. Military is a crazy life. Um, but if you've made it this far, thank you for hearing my story. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram. Um, and again, for those of you who have supported thus far in the podcast, I greatly appreciate it and thank you so much for everything thank you for tuning in to the keep it moving podcast be sure to check us out on instagram at keep it moving underscore podcast to keep up with the latest topics